We're in Luke chapter 2, and the reason that we're there is something that God has been impressing upon my heart. This is a section of scripture that I've never taught for Christmas. I don't know why that comes out like that, but in the strangeness of my life, I have never taught on this particular scripture in Luke chapter 2, which is all about Christmas. So we're going to do that. And, you know, when I'm thinking about Christmas, what it was like when I was a kid, it seemed like, oh, Christmas, who cares? It'll never come. Because when you're a kid, your metabolism is extra fast. And, like, when you have to wait in church, waiting for the meeting to be over, it takes forever. And Christmas never comes because Christmas is bazillions of years away. But then as you sense yourself getting closer, you think, oh my goodness, Christmas is coming. (laughs) And then you know that mom and dad are doing things. And then the the presents, you know, are under the tree if you do it that way. That's what we used to do in Seattle. And then you can hardly believe it. Tomorrow, it's going to happen. Did you ever have that kind of And just think, oh my gosh, it's going, tomorrow is the day. And then it's the day. You think, can it be that I have lived to see this day? Well, you know, Christmas is like that. I mean, you know, apart from the commercial aspects of it and the presence and all that stuff that we've kind of woven into it. But, you know, Christmas is about the fulfillment of God's promises. And they're good promises. Here are things that God wrote down hundreds, thousands of years in the past And then he let people wait and wait and wait. And you think, nice promises, but they're not going to happen. Not in my lifetime. So you thank God for the promises and you keep on living because it's already been centuries. It's probably going to be centuries more. And then what we're going to see here in Luke chapter 2 is a day in the life of a man who lived to see the fulfillment of those promises. And you know, we wish we could see something like that sometimes. Don't you get that? Couldn't I see something that, you know, a special, a fulfillment? And today we're going to look at the fact that God is doing something like that right now that we can look at. God is fulfilling what he spoke thousands of years ago. He's doing it right now, and it's part of Christmas. So that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. I'm in Luke chapter 2. And I'm reading from verse 25. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So he came by the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen 
your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. Now what I want to call your attention to is how Luke describes Simeon in these first few verses. And what we see is that he is a man of God. This is what a man of God looks like. Now this part may be a coincidence. I don't know how much God orchestrated the whole thing. You could think, yeah, he orchestrated everything. Look at his name. Simeon <clears throat> was named after one of Jacob's sons by his wife Leah. And the name means hearing. And that's what Simeon did. He listened to God. And we know that he listened to God because Luke says he was just and devout. And the key word there, speak, Lord, thy servant is listening. The key word there is devout. Now, I looked up this word, researched it back, and the idea of it is that you have the proper and rightful estimation of things. I'm all phlegmy again. Can I clear my throat? Sorry. Not enough coffee today. When you're devout, it means you really understand something so that you're serious about it and you receive it. And you take this into a relationship with God and what it means is that Simeon was serious about the scriptures. And he received them personally for himself. He took them very seriously as the word of God. So that's devout. And if you're devout, then it results in you being righteous. That's the direct result. In other words, he took what God said and said, that's what I'm supposed to be. That's what he wants me to be. And so he took seriously all of God's commandments and he says, I want to please God. That's the way I'm going to live. I'm not going to go to the right or to the left. I'm going to walk straight ahead the way God wants me to. That's righteous. And then what Luke points out in verse 25 is because Simeon had received the scriptures. Because he conformed his life to them, then he was also waiting for the consolation of Israel. And that means the Messiah. Everything in the scriptures point to the Messiah. And he is described here as the consolation of Israel. Thanks. You know, the water in this particular building is not transparent. It's got extra stuff in it that makes you strong. Or else it kills you, one or the other. Thank you. So, the Messiah is the consolation of Israel. He's the one who would take away all sin from Israel and establish the kingdom of God. Now, if you look ahead in Luke 2, verse 38, Anna the prophetess is speaking of Jesus to all those who looked for redemption in Jerusalem. Now, that's the same thing as the idea of the consolation of Israel. And later on, Joseph of Arimathea is waiting for the kingdom of God. 
consolation of Israel, redemption, kingdom of God, they're all waiting and they're looking for the same thing. And this idea of waiting and looking is the idea you believe in the future occurrence of something. It's going to happen. That's what you're looking for. That's what you're waiting for. And waiting in this case means that God is going to fulfill the promises that he spoke. You know, fulfillment is a greater thing even than those promises. And God said he would take away all of their sins, bring in everlasting righteousness, so that God would dwell among his people. They would be his people, he would be their God, and the relationship would be made perfect forever. Here's Simeon, and he's waiting for this. He received the word of God, he conformed his life to God's word, and he's looking for what all of that word is pointing to, that all of his peace and hope and life and future rest on is the consolation of Israel, the Messiah. But not only that, look at the last clause there in verse 25. The Holy Spirit was upon him. Now this is what God does to enable people to serve him. Every prophet was anointed with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was upon them. That particular relationship of the Holy Spirit is to enable that servant of God to serve in the power of God. We don't show up by ourselves and it's our own wisdom, our own strength, our own spirituality. It's the Holy Spirit upon us that enables us. Now the Holy Spirit, God himself, was with Simeon, living in him, and speaking to him. Now this is what happens when a person receives the word of God, conforms his life to that word, looks for the main point of all that word. That's somebody whom God is going to dwell with and enable. See? And here's the Holy Spirit speaking to Simeon at some point, and he just tells him something out of the blue. You're going to see the Messiah. You're not going to die before you see the Messiah. And from that we gather that Simeon was old. Now you think, oh well, I'm old. It's over, folks. But when you read the Bible, you find out it's not over for anybody, and especially for old folk. Don't know how old you think you are today. But you might think, well, I am aged and advanced in years. So I'm done. But that's not so. God has one more thing for Simeon. He says, you know what? You're going to see the Messiah. Now, what would you think if God spoke to you and said, you're going to see the Messiah? Think, wow. Really? Did I think that or is that God? Because, you know, you can say stuff to yourself. You can say, oh, well, I really do want to see the Messiah. Maybe I just said that to myself and I'm just fooling myself. Because I don't know about you, but all the voices in my head all sound like me. None of them have that big, you know, I am God. So I really know it's God. So I go, wow, did I make that up? Is that God? And you know, Simeon is the kind of guy who says, yeah, 
I'm open. Whatever you want. I don't know why you're picking me, but it's up to you. You're the boss. So if that's you, make it happen. So here's Simeon not only having all the scriptures talking about this consolation of Israel, but now even the Holy Spirit is telling him, you're going to see this. So what would that do to Simeon? It would make him excited and thinking, wow, if I'm going to see that, I'm going to keep looking for it. Now is not the time to just say, oh, well, you know, float like a jellyfish and just whatever happens will happen. But it's like, yeah, uh-huh, I'm looking. So, on a certain day, it all happens. Simeon sees the fulfillment of what was written and what was spoken to him personally. So, look in verse 27. It says, he came by the Spirit into the temple. Now, what it means is, on, a, on this particular day, as Simeon is doing his thing, the Holy Spirit begins to impress it upon him that he needs to go to the temple. And that's it. You know, as long as I've been walking with the Lord, I never get the entire picture when he wants me to do something. I only get the one thing I'm supposed to do. And then if I do that, then the next thing comes. So I never get an entire, you know, 15-point thing that God wants me to do. It never happens like that. And I'm positive that Simeon gets this impression, I'm supposed to go to the temple. Huh. What do you know? Well, that's where I'm headed. So Simeon's kind of poking around the temple now. Uh, maybe I'll just, uh, maybe I'll just wait here. How long is this going to be anyway? You know, God doesn't ever say stuff like that either. And this stuff is not split second timing. So you can imagine he would just be waiting there and thinking, well, you know, my time is God's time. So if he wants me to just cool my heels here, fine with me. I like the temple. I think it's fun. So I'm here. And then Simeon sees a couple come into the temple and they're offering the sacrifices for purification after birth. This is why Mary and Joseph brought Jesus into the temple. That's in Luke 2, our chapter here, in verse 22. And it says, Now when the days of her purification according to the law of Moses were completed, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now, this is eight days after the birth of Jesus when he is circumcised and named. And then another 33 days after that, those are the days of purification. When those days are over, then you go into the temple and you offer a sacrifice. Now, what that sacrifice is supposed to be is a lamb. But there's a provision in the law that if you can't afford a lamb, then you can offer two turtle doves or two pigeons. Now, what Simeon sees is a couple who offer the sacrifices and he knows they can't afford a lamb. They're poor. Hmm, that's interesting. And then, at a certain point, 
the Holy Spirit says, do you see that couple? Do you see that baby? That's the Messiah right there. This is the day. You think about everything that God is confirming right here. All those scriptures written over centuries, thousands of years, Simeon can say it's happening right now. And it's that confirmation of what the Holy Spirit spoke to him personally. Wow, I'm alive. That's the Messiah. You did it. So Simeon comes up and he takes Jesus into his arms. And I found out that the language here says he has him at the crook of his arm, which means Simeon knows everything about how do you hold a baby. None of this awkward first-timer thing. He just picks him right up, fits right there in his arms. And he's marveling. He says, wow. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. It's my time to go, and I'm okay with that. I'm holding on to the baby. I get to depart in peace and in happiness and in fullness. I have fullness of joy because I have seen your salvation right here. Now, you know, we think of salvation as one of those Latin-based words, and it sort of sounds like some kind of an abstract equation, theology these ideas that you have to work out and it's on paper somewhere in a book and you take the book, blow the dust off, think about your heavy theological words. But you know, salvation is a person. A person. And right here in his arms, Simeon is holding salvation. Salvation is a member of the human race who is alive and he thinks and he does. And also God's salvation is light. That is in verse 32, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. Light and glory all wrapped up in this baby. That is, he says, that this baby right here, this salvation is a light to the Gentiles. That's Isaiah 9, where it says, but there will be no more gloom for her who was in anguish. In earlier times, he treated the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali with contempt. But later on, he shall make it glorious by the way of the sea on the other side of the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. And it's also Isaiah 42, 6. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will also hold you by the hand and watch over you. And I will appoint you as a covenant to the people, as a light to the nations. You know, God's salvation is also a light to Israel. And that's what the Apostle Paul also mentions in Acts chapter 26, verse 22, where he's saying, So having obtained help from God, I stand to this day, testifying both to small and great, stating nothing but what the prophets and Moses said was going to take place, that the Christ was to suffer, and that by reason of his resurrection from the dead, he would be the first to proclaim light both to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. God's salvation is light. And notice in verse 33, Joseph and his mother marveled about those things which were spoken of them. Now, you think about this, Mary spoke with an angel. And 
Joseph was having dreams in which angels were speaking to him. They both were experiencing these things, and yet here's another one. Here comes a guy they've never met in their lives, up to them in the temple, takes the baby, where are you going with him? And then starts telling them, this baby is the glory of Israel. He's the light of the Gentiles. Lord, now I can depart in peace. This is fabulous. What's he saying? Our baby? They're amazed. And you know, because Simeon is saying these things and showing these things about Jesus, Mary and Joseph can see that. Because he's helping them to see what to everybody else looks like a baby. We're just going to offer the sacrifices and go home. No, no, no. This day, God is fulfilling scripture after scripture. And again, I read this and I think, well, wouldn't it be cool if I could see something like that? Where I could look at it and go, wow. And it dawned on me that, yes, God is doing something like that right now this second that we can look at and go, wow, just like Simeon. And that's why I want to direct you to Ezekiel 37. If you want to turn there, I'm going to point out some stuff. I don't really have time to go much into this, but just enough to suggest what's going on. There are three prophecies here in Ezekiel 37. And they're all to do with God promising to bring the nation Israel back together into their own land and to make them his people forever. In verses 1 to 14, God says, Israel will become alive as a nation again. Now, this is written about the time of the southern kingdom of Judah being deported to Babylon. It's the end of the nation. And yet what God is even saying right now is that he will gather them together again into their own land. But there are two parts to this prophecy. And I'm going to show you that from verse 11, if you want to read along with me. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They indeed say, Our bones are dry, our hope is lost, and we ourselves are cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, O my people, I will open your graves and cause you to come up from your graves and bring you into the land of Israel. Then you shall know that I am the Lord when I have opened your graves, O my people, and brought you up from your graves. I will put my spirit in you and you shall live and I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I, the Lord, have spoken it and performed it, says the Lord. Now, the interesting thing about this prophecy is that it is in two parts. And I will, the, the point about this is that there is a physical restoration to Israel and there is a spiritual restoration to Israel. And it's in these verses 7 to 9. Well, brother, I'm going to have to read the whole thing. Look at verse 4. He says, well, verse 3, he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? So I answered, O Lord God, you know. And again, he said to me, Prophesy to these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Surely I will cause breath to enter into you, and you shall live. I will put sinews on you and bring flesh upon you, cover you with skin and put breath in you, and you shall live. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. 
So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a noise. And suddenly, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to bone. Indeed, as I looked, the sinews and the flesh came upon them, and the skin covered them over, but there was no breath in them. Also he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath came into them, and they lived and stood upon their feet, an exceedingly great army. So here are two phases of this prophecy. One is God is going to gather the nation of Israel physically together. And the second part is God is going to restore Israel spiritually to himself. Now, the next part of this prophecy is in verse 15. And it has to do with the two parts of the nation Israel actually becoming one. And then Israel being blessed by God after that. It's another two-part prophecy. You see, after Solomon ruled, his son Rehoboam came to the throne. And because Rehoboam was kind of inexperienced, he blew up the kingdom. Ten tribes took off and became their own kingdom, the kingdom of Israel. And he reigned over the tribe of Judah. And there were two kingdoms. The northern kingdom of Israel lasted for about 200 years and then was deported by Assyria. The southern kingdom of Judah lasted for another 340 years and was eventually deported to Babylon. So for hundreds of years, the nation was two parts. And what God is prophesying in Ezekiel 37 is that when he brings the nation back again, he's going to bring them back as one nation. There'll never be two nations ever again. The third prophecy is in verse 24, where he says, David, my servant, shall be king over them, and they shall all have one shepherd. They shall also walk in my judgments and observe my statutes and do them. Then they shall dwell in the land that I have given to Jacob, my servant, where your fathers dwelt, and they shall dwell there. They their children and their children's children forever. And my servant David shall be their prince forever. Moreover, I will make a covenant of peace with them, and it shall be an everlasting covenant with them. I will establish them and multiply them. I will set my sanctuary in their midst forevermore. My tabernacle also shall be with them, and indeed I will be their God, and they shall be my people. The nations also will know that I, the Lord, sanctify Israel when my sanctuary is in their midst forevermore. So the last part of this is that Israel will have David as their king forevermore, indicating that God will raise him from the dead. It indicates resurrection, staying in the land forever, and an everlasting covenant with them. And the nations are going to know the Lord. Now, three prophecies here. Two of them in two phases. And what I want to show you is that God has fulfilled half of the first two prophecies already. That is, Israel is a nation again after being destroyed and exiled from their land. This happened in A.D. 70, when the Roman Empire destroyed the temple, the city of Jerusalem, deported the Jews, sold them as slaves. There were so many Jews up for sale as slaves that the price fell out of the market. Millions. Now, the Jews have existed for 1,870 years without a national homeland, which is a miracle. Because no nationality or ethnic group has ever survived as an ethnic group 
after being removed from their homeland for more than three generations. What happens is, is you get assimilated into the culture. And those things that mom and dad cared about, you know, it's not such a big deal because we're here in this country and this is what's important. But the Jews are the only people in history that have retained their national, ethnic identity without having a homeland for almost 2,000 years. Their survival alone is a miracle of God. But then Israel came together as a nation. And I've been reading this huge, thick book on the history of Israel. And to me, it's one of the great, exciting books that I think is even better than The Lord of the Rings. Did I just say that? Because this is the real thing. And the, the restoration of Israel is this move of God. And it began in the 1800s. There was nationalism all over the globe as people were thinking, we need our own homeland. And the unification of ethnic groups. And you know, the rabbis started telling people we need our own homeland. We have been living among the Gentiles, and everywhere we go, our situation turns into anti-Semitism and persecution. We need our own homeland. And one Jew in particular, a Hungarian-born fellow named Theodor Herzl, watched anti-Semitism in France with the Dreyfus Affair, watched the anti-Semitism in Russia with the pogroms, and he says, we have to do something about this. So in 1896, he founded what was known as the World Zionist Organization, and he held the first congress in Basel, Switzerland. Jews from all over the world came, and what they did was draw up a plan to establish a sovereign, independent Jewish state. And after this conference, this is what Herzl wrote in his diary. Were I to sum up the Basel Congress in a word which I shall guard against pronouncing publicly, it would be this. At Basel, I founded the Jewish state. If I said this out loud today, I would be answered by universal laughter. Perhaps in five years, and certainly in 50, everyone will know it. Now, 50 years from 1897, is 1947. And one year later, David Ben-Gurion proclaimed the state of Israel. 51 years. And it was not a joke. It was a reality. And on the very day that statehood was announced, they were attacked by five Arab nations, intent on wiping them out. And in the 50s, they fought a war. In the 60s, in 1967, Jerusalem became united, no longer East and West Jerusalem, but one Jerusalem under the control of the Israelis. In 1973, they were attacked by Arab nations on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, the holiest day in the Jewish calendar. And even then, they survived. They are opposed by most of the nations on earth, all of the United Nations, with very few exceptions. And if you read the story about how the nation has continued, you realize this is a miracle. And what it is, is the fulfillment of Ezekiel 37, two of those prophecies, the first part. 
Israel exists. They're in the homeland and they are one nation. They are not two nations. So right now you can look at Israel and say, God is doing his word right now in my lifetime. Now, the other half of two prophecies and all of the third have not happened yet. They must be fulfilled. And the reason we know they must be fulfilled is that we're halfway through. Now, what we're looking to see happen then is Israel being revived spiritually. And especially it means to enter into this everlasting covenant. That's when Israel becomes spiritually restored to God. Because Jesus, the Messiah, came and he was rejected by the leaders of Israel. And as they were rejecting him, and he was being crucified, right at that point, he was establishing the new covenant, the everlasting covenant in his blood, right when he's being rejected by Israel. Now, because Israel rejected their Messiah, God partially hardened Israel and says, I will now turn to the Gentiles. And what God did was fulfill the first part of what Simeon spoke about, a light to the Gentiles. For the last 2,000 years, everyone who receives Jesus as their Lord and Savior enters into this everlasting new covenant. Jesus is, right now this second, a light of revelation to the Gentiles. But because Israel is back in the land, we know that God is about to turn his attention back to Israel. And he will bring them into this everlasting covenant through Jesus. And that will result in the second half of the first prophecy, the second half of the second prophecy, and all of the third prophecy to be fulfilled. Israel will return to the Lord spiritually. They will no longer defile themselves. David will really be their king. They'll dwell in the land forever, and all the nations will know that the Lord is God. So that means that even this morning, we are in the position of Simeon, the one who was waiting for the consolation of Israel. You know, he saw those fulfillments begin to happen during his lifetime. Now, you know, all he saw was the beginning of it. He didn't see Jesus grow up. He didn't see Jesus get disciples around him. He didn't see Jesus be crucified and raised from the dead. The new covenant had not yet been established that day. But then God had started his work. And what God starts, he finishes. So that because Israel now exists, we know that God is going to finish his work. Yes, Israel is back in the land, and they will never be taken out ever again. Nobody is ever going to win a war with Israel. Because God is going to fulfill the second half of those prophecies and bring them back to him. What God starts, he's going to finish. So we're in Simeon's position, but are we living like Simeon? That is, have you received the word of God? And do you take it seriously? Because every word of God is going to be fulfilled. So are you living according to that word? And here's a question. Is the Holy Spirit upon you? You know, not everybody who walks in the door has the Holy Spirit upon them. That is a voluntary 
third experience that you can have with the Holy Spirit. And it's not automatic. But Jesus said, ask and you will receive. And if you want to serve the Lord, but you find you have no heart to do so when you need it and no ability, then that points to the fact that you need the Holy Spirit upon you. And you can submit to the Lord and say, please come upon me. Please enable me. Please give me, me that heart that I need. You know, we can pray for anybody after the service. God said, you know, if you fathers, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to him who asks? That's, it's not a big deal. It's a wonderful deal. But then are you waiting for the return of Jesus? Because that's what it means to have all those prophecies fulfilled is the return of Jesus. And you know, for us, for us who believe in Jesus, we will see these things. The question is, what's going to be our vantage point? Because when you're very high up, you can see everything. And we believe that all these things are going to begin to happen when Jesus takes his church out of the world. It's going to happen so fast that by the time it's happened, we will already have been taken out. And if we live that long, we're going to live to see us being taken out. In other words, we're not going to die. We're going to go directly into life. That's what we're looking forward to. I think that's fabulous. Now, you know, if we do, as Simeon did, then we're going to have peace. Simeon said, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. And you know, that means he's going to die. And you know, when you die, you're going to see God. And he wasn't going to see everything that God was going to do, but he did get to depart in peace. And that, to me, is the most amazing thing. Because right now, we live in an atmosphere where everybody is conscious of dying. And above all, you must not be infected with COVID-19. It almost becomes biblical. You shall not be infected with COVID-19, for in the day thereof that you are infected, you shall surely die. I mean, that is the message we're getting. And I think we don't hear too much about Alzheimer's disease, heart attacks, cancer, type 2 diabetes, which are still the major cause of death in the United Kingdom. Here's a greater fear than becoming infected with COVID-19, and that is dying and standing before God. It's what comes after death that is fearsome. And more than we need a vaccine, we need forgiveness from God. The important thing about Christmas and Jesus coming into the world is peace with God and forgiveness and an everlasting covenant of relationship with him. And you know, we can have peace while we look for God to fulfill his word because he's going to do it. As surely as you can look at the nation of Israel in the Middle East right now, you can know that God is going to fulfill all of his word. So, Jesus is the Prince of Peace. For us, right now, today, there's no fear. 
There's only peace. And if you are anxious and worried and troubled, that's legit. But let's ask Jesus to give us his peace. Shall we do that? Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus Christ, that you are the Messiah, that you did come, and that you have confirmed the word written and the word spoken. Thank you that we are seeing in our lifetime the fulfillment of your word that you had written down. Thank you that you are doing a miracle in restoring the Jewish nation. And because you've done that, that means that your coming is not far off. It's not hundreds of years in the future. But you're doing your work right now in our lifetime. And so we look forward to your coming. That is, our lives are not about dying. It's not about despair. We look forward to seeing your face, to be transformed into your image. Your word says, you will guide me with your counsel and afterward receive me to glory. And we're so thankful for that. Thank you for the everlasting covenant. Please give each one of us peace as we look forward to Christmas. Not a time of darkness, cold, anxiety, dread, but of light and hope. We praise you, Lord, that you mean good to us and not evil. Bless your people this morning. For those of us that are anxious and upset, now please give us your peace by the power of your Holy Spirit. Fill us all. Come upon us. Bless this Christmas, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.